that. But uh, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, Walk in wisdom, well, excuse me, that's verse 5, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Let me share with that just in a couple of paraphrases that I looked up this week. In the New Living Testament, it says, Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you might have the right response for everyone. I really like what the message translation or paraphrase says. It says, Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down and not cut them out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so thankful that you have been with us, you've been faithful. Your word has continued to be proclaimed across this land and across this world. Father, lives are still being changed because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I'm thankful that we can be here today to listen to your word. Lord, I pray that uh, you would speak to us clearly today. And that, Father, you would change our hearts and our lives to look like Jesus. And, Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ in a personal way, Lord, I pray that today would be their spiritual birthday, the day they come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, speak through this your servant, those words which are pleasing unto you. And, Father, we pray this and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, Beth Moore announced, I don't know if you've, some of y'all have seen it or not, that she was breaking ties with Lifeway, and she listed a number of things, and I can't say that I agree with all of her uh, understandings or all of her reasons, but she has to follow the Lord and the guidance of the Lord in her own heart and her own life, but what really broke my heart was to see some of the comments that were made on social media uh, by men and women both, and it wasn't just women or just men. Uh, here's what I, I determined. Many of those comments were harmful. And most of them were not really necessary. These, com- command, these uh, comments reminded me of a study that I recently went through. I'm actually working through, and I've shared this with you before with Mark and Justin. With We're doing some personal discipleship stuff, and we're studying a book called Godly Disciplines. A few weeks ago, we studied uh, the discipline of the tongue. And we all agreed we'd rather skip that lesson because most of us have a problem controlling our tongue. Well, kind of back in January, after all the election was over with, I kind of began to sense that I needed to preach on this particular topic. But uh, since I can't seem to control my own tongue, it makes it hard to preach on something like this. But uh, anyway, the Lord continued to convict me about it. Then, of course, we studied that chapter a couple of weeks ago. And I decided, okay, I'll go ahead and I'll schedule a message on, on preaching on the use of your tongue. Had not even picked out a scripture yet. I just kind of had this loose idea of what I was going to be doing. I got to this week, and I Monday morning I opened my Bible and began to pray about what I wanted to preach. And I kept trying to tell the Lord, God, you know, I really just don't want to preach about the tongue. That's just not on my radar of things to do. And, of course, uh, as I was praying, I was also doing my devotionals, and I picked up one of my devotionals, and guess what it was on? 
the use of the tongue. And I said, okay, God, I got it. And, and of course, yesterday, if you, any of you looked at your open windows yesterday, there was something on the use of the tongue. So evidently, the Lord wants me to talk about this subject. Now, I'm not saying I'm gangbusters on talking about it, but uh, anyway, you just consider this uh, from that standpoint that I feel, really feel strongly the Lord wants me to share this message. You know, if you go back and you look at church history, and you go back to the early New Testament church, one of the things that you notice, or one of the things that other people noticed about Christians, was how much they loved each other. They were attracted to Christianity because of the winsomeness or the pleasantness of Christians. Pagans saw Christians loving on each other and edifying and building up one another. They saw Christians helping to meet other people's needs. Guys, if you and I are going to reach this generation with the good news of Jesus Christ, we must learn to discipline our tongue. Our words have the power to build up, but they also have the power to tear down. They have the power to encourage, or they have the power to discourage. Your words have the power to draw people to Christ, or to push them further away from Christ. Paul understood this truth, which is why he wrote this verse of Scripture that we, we see today, why we read Colossians 4, 6. In this particular passage of Scripture, Paul gives us two words that ought to characterize the speech of every Christian. So what are those two words? Well, the first word is the word graciousness or gracious, or graciousness, however you want to define that term. Paul gives, as he's writing this fourth chapter, some final instructions to the church at Colossae. And it's almost like a bullet point list if you go through and you read chapter 4, and you get to this one bullet point where Paul says, let your speech be always gracious. <coughs> when I teach my students about writing, I tell them, you really don't need to use the word always or never, because they're rarely true. When I'm doing marriage counseling with people, and I'm in the middle of a marriage counseling, and I hear a woman say something like, my husband never tells me he loves me. Reminds me of a joke I heard one time of a guy who... He and his wife were sitting out on the porch, front porch swing. It was a beautiful day. The sun was out. The birds were singing. They were casually, slowly just kind of rocking back and forth as you would do in a porch swing. And they were celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary. And the man looked over at his wife and said, Sweetheart, I, I want you to know just how much I really care about you. He says, If you will remember back, 25 years ago, I told you that I loved you dear, dearly and deeply. And she says, yeah, and you've rarely said that in all the years that we've been married. And finally, he turned to her and said, well, sweetheart, if it ever changes, I'll be sure to let you know. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of uh, as I was thinking about this. But also... When I'm in a marriage counseling and somebody says, you know, my husband never takes out the trash. This is always the first thing I say. And somebody, if any of y'all been in counseling with me, you'll know that this is what I say. 
You mean to tell me in all the time that you've been married, your husband has never once taken out the trash? And then they crawfish and they say, well, yeah, maybe once or twice. Well, then the word never is not right. But look what Paul says in this verse of Scripture. Paul says your words must always be gracious. No exceptions, no qualifiers. They must always be gracious. We have no wiggle room. As the Proverbs 21, 23 tells us, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Can I get an amen on that? There are times that I, once I say something, I wish I'd have had a, a cage on my mouth or maybe a paper clip or something. And I would have thought before I said something. And I know if we're all honest with ourselves, we would all say the same thing. That there are times when we say something that we wish we never would have said that we could go back and undo. But of course, once words are spoken, they can't be taken back. And I don't care that little ditty that we learned when we were all kids. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. That's a lie. Sorry, but it is a lie. I don't know if the guy was, who wrote that was saying it tongue-in-cheek because he knew different or, or if he just hadn't been around and, and been through life very much. But you ask kids, you ask kids who have been talked down to their whole life that you're nothing, you'll never amount to anything, you'll never do any good. And a lot of kids believe that, and it absolutely destroys their life. Think about a spouse who constantly hears criticism from their spouse. They never get a word of encouragement. What kind of effect does that have on a person? When you and I are charged to always have gracious speech, what does that mean? Well, the word that's used there comes from the word for grace. Uh, it's used in the New Testament usually to denote divine favor. You and I have received favor from God that we don't really deserve. But in this particular case, this particular word means to, to be pleasant or pleasantness, attractiveness, charm, or winsomeness. As Christians, what it means is our speech ought to reflect the grace that we have received from the Lord. Would you agree with me that God never treats us as our sins deserve? God has forgiven us. God, we talked about that today, and Derek did a great job of the Sunday school lesson today. Uh, we talked about in the Sunday school today uh, how we ought to be, we've been forgiven, and, and we ought to have that same kind of mentality towards others that we are gracious to them in the way that we talk to them. So how do you do that? How can your speech always be gracious? Well, first of all, you need to pray. Prayer is absolutely essential. We need to ask the Lord to help our tongues Control, help us to control our tongues, to make sure that the words coming out of our mouth ought to, bring, ought to be for edification and building up of another person. In fact, the Bible tells us, and whatsoever we do in word or deed, we are to do all to the glory of God. So the words that come out of our mouth ought to be bringing glory and honor to Christ. So we must pray. Secondly, we need to give great thought to what we say before we say it. I wish we could have a pause button on our mind, don't you, sometimes? When something pops in your head, you hit the pause button and then, then think about it and say, is this speech that I'm getting ready to use, is it going to be gracious? 
Is it going to build up another person or is it going to tear down? We need to think before we speak. We need to ask our questions, ask a question and say, uh, is our speech grace-filled? Will it build up another person or will it tear them down? Can I share something with you guys? Just because something is true does not mean you need to say it. Y'all ever hear your parents ever tell y'all like my mom used to tell me, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all? That would serve us well as we think about being grace-filled. Think about this for just a minute. How many people have literally taken their life? How many teenagers and children have literally taken their lives because of unkind words that have been posted on Facebook or social media? It's gotten so bad on social media. I I rarely, in fact, if you need to send me, I know there's several people. The only way you contact me is through Facebook. It may be days before I get back to you if that's the way you contact me because I rarely get on there anymore. Because it does not build up or edify my spirit. In fact, it quenches my spirit and it hurts me to see all the unkind things that are being posted and said on Facebook and other social media. It's not just Facebook, it's other things as well. Our speech always needs to be with grace. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up. I I believe that uh, Paul's words on the use of Christian freedom would really apply in the use of our tongue. Listen to what Paul writes over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. Paul, right there, as he's talking about, in the context, he's talking about eating meat sacrificed to idols, but he's laying down a general principle that would serve us well in a number of different areas. And this is what he says. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Does that not fit in our speech? Should we not be thinking about that which builds up and edifies that which is gracious or grace-filled towards other people? Jesus Christ himself had gracious speech. Now, his speech also confronted people with their sinfulness. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but listen to what people thought about Jesus Christ. This is what it says in Luke 4.22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Did you hear that? They marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth. While Jesus did confront people with their sinfulness, He didn't speak in arrogance and pride. He didn't put the other person down. He simply pointed out their need for a Savior, their need for repentance and forgiveness. Jesus spoke gracious words. So no matter whether we're undergoing persecution, whether we're facing stress, where we're facing difficulty or injustice, our speech ought to always, that's not my word, that's what the Bible says. Our speech ought to always be gracious. It is to be wholesome, it's to be fitting, it's to be kind, it's to be sensitive, it's to be complimentary, it's to be gentle, it's to be truthful. 
It's to be loving. It's to be thoughtful. Proverbs 13.3 reminds us, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, and he who opens his lips wide comes to ruin. Can I get an amen on that? Have, have you ever seen people whose literally lives have come to ruin by the things they've said? Happens all the time. James makes a very staggering observation that ought to chill us to the bone. Listen to what James says. James says this, If you claim to be religious, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Could any stronger words be used about the use of our tongue? If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Somebody has said the test of a man's spirituality is not based upon his ability to speak, but his ability to hold his tongue. Guys, if we want to make a difference in the world in which we find ourselves, we as Christians of all people ought to be people whose, whose words are gracious whose words are kind, whose words are for use for the upbuilding of other people. Second word that Paul uses here in this passage of Scripture that ought to describe our speech is our speech ought to be seasoned. And he says here, seasoned with salt. Why does he use that terminology? Well, salt during that day and time was used as a preservative. And you and I down in the South, we know that. We've used salt to cure meat and keep it from spoiling for years and years and years. Long time before we had refrigerators, you had to figure out a different way of preserving. And most people would use salt to preserve uh, meat to keep it from spoiling. Our conversation should be grace-filled. It should be used as a preservative. Our, our speech ought to be a purifying influence to others around us. Have you ever noticed when you're around people, if every other word that comes out of their mouth is a cuss word and you don't return in kind, in other words, you just speak, you know, just in a normal tone of voice and you speak not using those things. Have you noticed how some of those cuss words begin to drop out? People quit using them. If you don't join with them in that, a lot of times they will stop using those words. There have been times, once or twice in my whole ministry, okay, my whole life, and I'm 61 years old, be 62 this summer. So in my whole life, maybe once or twice, I've sensed the Holy Spirit telling me that I would need to say something about, to people about the speech they were using. And that needs to be something that's led to the Holy Spirit. I'm not about to tell you this is the way you ought to respond because it made me feel terrible after I did it, but I really sensed that's what the Lord wanted me to do, but... Somebody was taking the Lord's name in vain one day, and I just said, do you realize that that's my Savior and my Lord that you're talking about? I didn't do it ugly. I wasn't mean-spirited. I didn't yell it. I just simply quietly spoke. And they had not even thought about that. And they immediately stopped what they were doing. Guys, our speech ought to be that which edifies the Lord Jesus Christ. In all that we do, in everything that we do, both in word and deed, we ought to do all to the glory of God. That includes our speech. 
Our speech needs to be a purifying influence to others around us. It ought to rescue conversations from the filth that so often engulfs it. Also, salt adds flavor. Among the Greeks of that day and time, when they referred to a speech, they would describe a, a speech as being salty. And what they meant by that was it was a zestful or a lively conversation. Guys, our conversations ought to be marked by grace-filled words, but we should never be stuffy. We should never be boring, <clears throat> especially when we're talking about the greatest thing on earth, the salvation of our souls, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. It ought not to be boring or dull. It ought to be exciting. It ought to be lively as we talk about what God has done for us in Christ. In the Disciplines of a Godly Man, that book that I mentioned to you before, he's got a list of 68 verses in the back of that book from Proverbs that speak about the use of our tongue. I want to share with you some of them. I'm not going to share all 68 or we'd be here till Jesus came back. But let me just share just some of those that have to refer to our speech being seasoned with salt. Listen to what he says in Proverbs 10:11: The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. When, when you speak words, do people look at your words as being a fountain of life? Or do they see it as being criticism? The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. In Proverbs 10.20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. In other words, it's valuable. The lips of the righteous feed many in Proverbs 10.21. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been in a, in a, a discussion, disagreement with somebody, and the louder you speak, what happens? the louder they speak. You want to end the argument? Just whisper. Just whisper. And it brings the, the level down. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle tongue is the tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 15.4 To make an apt answer is joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. Proverbs 15.23 Last one, Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Our words ought to be seasoned with salt. They ought to be truthful, but they ought to be spoken in love with the idea of helping and building up another person. Because salt has a purifying effect, it was also used in the Levitical sacrifices, if you want to go check that out, you can see Leviticus 2.13 and Ezekiel 43.24. Purity was necessary to make a sacrifice acceptable to God. The spiritual salt mentioned by Paul in this verse is to be preserved in the heart and to the season, season the life and season our words. So that no corrupt speech will ever come out of our mouth. As I said before, what the scripture tells us, what Paul tells us, is that our words always are to be gracious and seasoned with salt. You know, we have an account in the Bible of Jesus that demonstrates this for us. 
the Pharisees and the religious leaders were always trying to trap Jesus, weren't they? They were always trying to get him to step in the middle of something so that they could accuse him. They, they had already determined they wanted to put him to death, and they just had to find a reason. And they kept trying to trap him in his words and the things that he was saying. And so on one occasion, as on, another, on several occasions, uh, it, this one particular one is found in Luke chapter 20, some spies were sent out to entrap Jesus in the things that he said. And the Bible says that when Jesus perceived their craftiness, they came to him and they said, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, the Jewish people hated being in bondage. And their religious leaders said, you don't need to pay taxes to Caesar because that authenticates their rule over us, so you ought not do that. Now, they realized they had to do that or they would face the wrath of Rome, but they sure hated to do that. And, of course, if any religious leader told them that it was lawful for them to pay taxes, then they could use that as a way to say you're not really a, a, a spiritual person or you wouldn't be saying stuff like this. And so Jesus, perceiving their craftiness, said, bring me a denarii, a daily a coin that represented a day's wage. And he said to him, whose likeness and whose inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And what did Jesus say? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, which means taxes, and render to God the things that are God. Now the Caesar back then, about that time, began to claim that they were God and that you ought to worship them and you ought to offer sacrifices to them. And Jesus said, offer taxes to Rome, to Caesar, but give to God what is rightfully due God, and that's our worship. So we ought to worship God. And so they were not, this is what the scripture says, they were not able to, in the presence of the people, to catch him in what he said, but they marveled at his answer and became silent. Isn't it wonderful how gracious words sometimes just cause people to be silent? They really don't have an answer for it, do they? They went on and they tried to trap him again and they asked him about being marriage and the, the Leverite marriage situation. I'm not going to go through all that, but he once again answered them correctly with words of grace, but also with words seasoned with salt. They were true. And this is what it said. It said, then some of the scribes answered and said, teacher, you have spoken well. And no one dared to ask him a question any longer. By using words of graciousness seasoned with salt, they had no comeback. There was nothing they could say. They were silent before the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, that's the kind of speech that you and I need. It's the kind of speech that ought to characterize every Christian we need to have that same kind of speech so that as 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, in our hearts we are to honor Christ as Lord. The Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anybody who asks for a reason for the hope that is within you. Let it be done with gentleness and respect. Guys, the reason why our words need to be gracious and seasoned with salt is so that we can treat people with gentleness and respect so that they will hear the message of salvation that can change their life. Why do so many people feel today in our world view Christians as hate-filled, bearers of bad news who really have no right in the public sphere to make any kind of comments? It's because of all the stuff that comes out of our mouth, because we attack each other, because we speak bad about each other. We don't speak words filled with grace. This past week, 
Dr. Ronnie Floyd, who's the president and CEO of the Southern Baptist Convention or the Southern Baptist Executive Committee is actually his title, uh, wrote an article because there's some things going on right now. I don't know if you've been listening to the news, but Baptists are under fire in a lot of different areas and a lot of different uh, standpoints. And this is what he said that I think very applicable to what I'm talking about today. He said, the American culture is out of control. Our own culture within the Southern Baptist family is also out of control. For the sake of the greater cause of taking the gospel to the world, our behavior should be better than this. It should be biblical and spiritual. We are people of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The fruit of our lives should be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He goes on to say, we must recognize that we are living in ideologically, politically, philosophically, racially, ethnically, and culturally divided nation where the abnormal is now normal. We're on the ragged edge of despair due to a global pandemic and an uncertain economy. And then he says, each of us needs to be very careful with the words we write, speak, tweet, or post. As Baptists and followers of Jesus, our public behavior matters. Our words matter. Our tone matters. We must all lead the way in creating a Bible-based, Christ-centered, spirit-controlled culture within the Southern Baptist Convention. I would just say amen to those words. Guys, our words are a powerful force. They are a powerful force for good or they are a powerful force for evil. We can use our words constructively to encourage or we can use our words destructively for tearing down and creating hate and despair in people's lives. We have the power to help. We have the power to heal. But we also have the power to hurt or to hinder, to harm or to humiliate or to humble other people. What we say can bless or curse, build up or tear down, create or destroy. Guys, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the word of God, for the sake of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us enough to give himself to die for us on the cross. Let everything that we do in word or deed do bring honor and glory to Christ. We must learn the discipline of the tongue. We must learn to control our speech so that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can be heard by those around us. Let's go to God in prayer.